You came expecting to see Nancy this morning. Surprise! <laughs> well, Nancy can do props too. You notice this morning we're missing a crucial person and family here on the platform. Jesse's not here. His father passed away a week ago unexpectedly. We need to lift up the Lopez family with his mom and family in California and be with them, give them strength, courage, and comfort. And uh, I'm sure that they will appreciate it. We also need to lift up in our prayers Nancy, for she's not feeling well herself. In fact, uh, she's kind of under the weather quite a bit. You know that uh, Pastor Serge is in Tennessee. Unfortunately, Nancy kissed him goodbye. We got word from Nancy that, uh, let's pray for Serge. <laughs> Anybody else need prayers? <laughs> I see some hands in the back. I don't know, there's something going around. You know, we are so blessed to have Sergio and Nancy as our pastoral couple here. I have greatly appreciated both of them, but I have valued Sergio as my mentor, as my boss. He's been quite a man. Hugs. Never forget the first day I met him here on this platform. He was over there. I came along and I said, oh, you must be the new pastor. And he walked over and he took my hand and pulled me and embraced me. Nancy whispered, don't be surprised if he kisses you on the cheek. <laughs> I'm going to kiss him someday. <laughs> but one thing about Serge that I value, he is real. He's transparent. And he says what's on his heart and on his mind, but he identifies and relates. One of the things that I treasure about Sergio is he has a phrase that I've never had a boss say this to me before. Whether I'm having difficulties or doing something or, or even today, he says, Fred, I got your back. <laughs> my boss has got my back. Man, that, that mental life, it, it still does. That he's got my back. Nancy calls me Thursday and said, Fred, <laughs> what? Why are we whispering? I don't feel good. She went to the doctor and said, I don't think I could do it. I don't think I could preach. Well, sure you can, Nancy, come on. Buck up. Don't worry about it. Lord will provide. I hung up. Then I started thinking about Serge. You know what? I'm going to play 
his card. Nancy, I got your back. Don't even worry about it. Just get better. And I hung up and I thought, what have I just done? <laughs> Thursday. I've talked to you many times about two words, react and respond. Well, that moment I reacted. <laughs> Not the best thing to do because I panicked. What am I going to do? What am I going to say? I started getting the scriptures, got into books. And finally just sat in the chair and I said, oh, wait a minute. Lord, help me. And he says, Fred, what are you most passionate about? Giving Bible studies. There you go, Fred. Giving Bible studies. Go for it. And remember, Fred, I got your back. <sighs> Last night on the phone, 7 o'clock, I'm sure at 10 o'clock or 11, Sergio's time, he texted me. Fred, got your back. He truly is an awesome man, but I know that he is only part of an awesome church. For you see, when I was laid off, this church hired me to become a Bible worker about 13, 14 years ago. Never forget it. This morning, I want to share with you some of the things in my adventure that maybe have helped to you as far as giving Bible studies, the things that I have learned, the mistakes that I have made, but also, too, the many blessings that God has shared with me. For back then... I wasn't too sure what I was getting into. For I never really felt too comfortable in giving Bible studies. Maybe like some of you, I was scared to give Bible studies. What if they were asking me a question that I didn't have the answer to? I would look foolish. What if they argued with me and won the argument? There were things that I had put into my mind that kept me from doing what the Lord was asking me to do. And it wasn't too long as a Bible worker. We got called up to Spokane for all the workers within the conference to meet. And on that special day, a gentleman came from the North American Division, NAD. His name was Russell Burrell. Mm. Some of you may remember him. I have precious memories of him. About 42 years ago, he stood here and I sat there. And I listened to him as he gave his six weeks evangelistic series. Man, that man spoke to me. And the reason why he spoke to me was he grew up as a Baptist. I grew up as a Methodist, both on the other side of the fence. And as he talked, as I sat there, he would say something, and I go, whoa, 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 whoa. That doesn't make sense at all. And he would do this one thing, just uncanny. I know what you're thinking. 
you're probably thinking, that doesn't make sense at all, does it? Every time. He had empathy for me. Because, see, he was where I was. And he spoke in a way that told me, you know what? We need to have empathy toward people as well. To put our shoe, ourselves in their shoes. It was that day that we met at the conference. He pulled the Bible workers together and he asked us one question. What is the purpose for you Bible workers, men and women alike, to go out and give Bible studies? Variance of answers, but some of it was to get them to be baptized and be members of the church. It's not a bad goal. But he said, the only purpose that God is asking of you as a Bible worker is to connect with the people. That's it. Connect with the people. I thought, wow, how profound. Here, I was stressed out about the dialogue and the arguing and the truth and the scriptures, but all I was asked to do was to connect with the people. It wasn't soon after that that we had a retreat up at Myvedon, and the pastor from Salem, Oregon, Gary Parks, came, and he spoke the whole weekend on one paragraph found in Ministry of Healing. Folks, this paragraph changed my life. Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. Then he bade them follow me. I'm going to invite you to put yourself into that paragraph. Charlie. Charlie mingled with men as one who desired their goods. Charlie showed his sympathy for them. He ministered to their needs and he won their confidence. Mr. Waterboy, you're doing that. Each one of us is asked to put ourselves in the same position that Christ demonstrated for us to be able to minister to the people and to their needs. The more I looked at that, the more I thought about it, it was just like, that. it makes sense. If I, if I take the scriptures, which are valuable as they are, I can put them as far as the, the cart before the horse. I've had the privilege to be able to have studies with all variety of different people, members of our church. I am blessed, I am blessed and fortunate and privileged to have studies with our young kids now, as well as adults. There is no greater joy now <laughs> I wouldn't have thought that way 
12 years ago, but now there's something about it. But then in two, I look at the scriptures. In Matthew, it talks about true and false disciples. And we read a statement that says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Hear that word, but. But everyone who hears the words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. As I read that text and as I looked at it more and more, it was like, you know, Lord, what you're asking of me is to help these individuals that I have a chance to meet with to build a strong foundation. I never looked at it that way before. In fact, you know me in pictures and visuals. My dad made this for my boys when they were real little. This was our Sabbath evening toy. I tell you, more imagination, more stories of the scriptures, the walls of Jericho, Bethlehem, the manger, with just these blocks. But my boys soon learned They needed a solid foundation to build upon because they would put it on the carpet. (sighs) Bad choice. And when they put it on the carpet, they said, Dad, it keeps falling. (laughs) Charlie, Josh, come here. This is what Grandpa made this for. The foundation. Each one of us needs a solid foundation. And as I see these young minds, they're like sponges. They accept everything, the truth that the Scripture gives to them, and they absorb it into their lives. But I run across older folks who are not like children, who may not even be a member of this church, And I have a little dilemma. And the best way that I can demonstrate this is, if you bear with me, (sighs) because see, I can relate to this because when I met Becky in college, I was a good old Methodist who wanted to go into the ministry of the Methodist Church. But even in my life, I had put things into my head that I believed to be true. 
Becky and I would sit around sometimes, and oh boy, was it the most peaceful times. But I would sit there and say, this one is right. Maybe some of you here today are the same way. You have beliefs that you hold on to. I knew a couple that I valued so much into the church, and that was Ruth and Ed Gessler. And they shared with me, Fred, you got to realize something with good old Adventists. They have what they call life commandments. What's that? Something that they truly believe and convicted in, which alters, not alters, but affects their behavior. But see, your life commandment is yours. It doesn't have to be mine. Nor am I breaking yours if I do mine differently. And sometimes people will put the life commandments above the scriptures. And that's when we have difficulties. And so when I would study with people and I realized, oh my goodness, they're not little sponges like kids. They already have preconceived truths that they've been told and what they've been read. How are we doing? And this is where I learned the lesson, too, of the words respond and react. Because when they did not agree with what I believe the scriptures to say or the lesson, what do you think maybe I had done? I reacted. I'll guarantee you, no one wins in an argument. If you start arguing, you just might as well close up the, the session right then. God's not in the form of arguing. What I've had to learn was to have the wisdom of Solomon. As they would share with me what they believe in, I'd say, you know, that, that's interesting. Could you share with me in the scriptures where it says that? Because I, I'm not familiar with it. I put the ball back into their court. And you know, that diffuses a lot of conflicts. Plus, wearing a hat like this probably would too. <laughs> but see, we have to have empathy. If I forget that they are where I was, I'm showing no empathy. Jesus had empathy. He met people where they were. They were valued to him. Every time I sit down to study any, with anyone, older person, man, woman, child, they are valued in God's eyes. And I treasure that moment and I treasure that person because of who they are. So please, never forget the concept of allowing them to be who they are. Even though they may look and sound ducky, they're still a child of God. 
I have discovered that when it comes to Bible studies, it's not smooth sailing. There's someone out there who desperately wants what is happening to fail. Ephesians 6, 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Buckle up, guys. If you want to sit there and say, I want to do a Bible study with someone, buckle up. Because it's just not going to be you in the room. Lord will be with you. Angels will be with you. But there is going to be a spiritual warfare taking place when you want to do the work of what the Lord wants you to do. The sobering one is this. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. Wait a minute. That's not fair. I'm sorry, folks. The devil isn't fair. He doesn't care about you. And if you get killed in the process, so be it. He's not a mamsy-pamsy kind of a guy. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Because if I didn't have that, I'm thinking that my challenge against the enemy looks pretty bleak. Pretty bleak. As time has progressed, and as a dad and with my two sons, the things that I have learned, I've shared with this before, here's a phrase that I truly do value. And I use this with my boys. Tell me and I will forget. Show me and I may not remember, but involve me and I will understand. Parents, parents, write this down. Use this. Because when Jimmy or Johnny or Charlie or Josh come up to you and say, Daddy, will you please fix this? You know what, son? Let's do it together. Let's do it together. Let me show you how we can do this together. You know, I didn't involve my sons enough. Why should that be any different when it comes time for me to even sit down with a person who wears this? The scriptures aren't difficult. The scriptures are pretty clear. It's the enemy who makes it difficult. How can we get beyond that? So I kind of created this little book that I give out to the studies. It's a little photo album. In it are, are lines that you can write. And I say, what I want you to do is, well, let me ask you a question. Do you have photo albums at home? You know, with technology and with the, with the phone and all this stuff anymore, I miss this. I miss this. Just sitting down and gazing through the memories. Oh, look at that handsome young man. Not me, but. <laughs> Pictures. 
Pictures are so valuable to know where I came from, who I am, my family, my friends, my children, my beautiful wife, the blessing that I have. I can see them in the pictures. This is God's photo album. It's filled with pictures. So when I ask the the student, the child, the man, the woman, I want you to share with me a picture of the scriptures about God every week. Develop your own picture photo album of God's character, his attributes. Because once this thing gets full, you can probably do a hundred of them. You'll have a picture of God through the scriptures of who he is. Because I know for myself, if I see you in the foyer, and I say, hi, my name's Fred, and someone says, I'm, I'm Jack, hi, Jack, how are you? Ten seconds go by, and if I don't write down that word Jack or something, I forget. I'm allowing you to be involved in getting to know God by writing down the pictures that you see in the Scripture. It's going to stay with you far much more longer than trying to remember the text. You remember, like me, the way I wrote it. But unfortunately, the enemy is always trying to work to distort our picture of who God is and what he looks like. Do you agree? Sabrina, come up here to help me. When I do studies, it's hands-on, folks. We, we do puzzles and studies, don't we? Yeah. Mom and Dad, don't we? Okay. We, we do clay figures. We've done Adam in the garden. What I'm going to ask of you is... To start putting this puzzle together, okay? Because you do pretty good there at your study that when you work on the puzzles. You, so you just continue to work there, okay? See, this is a young girl, but picture yourself maybe if you're 60, 70, because your whole life you've been putting together a picture of what God looks like. I had a picture of what God looks like before I met Becky. And I didn't realize that in the process of me growing up and going to church that there was an enemy who enjoyed doing this to my puzzle. Look, a bird up there. Look, a bird. (laughs) Are you following what I'm saying? Because, see, in all actuality, God wants us to get to the point 
where we can see him clearly as the picture dictates it to be. Isn't that pretty? Does it make, is, is it clear? Can you see it all clearly? Can you make out who they are? But see, when I came into the church, and maybe some of you even sitting here, this was my picture. But yet, I was willing to hang that picture on the wall and say, this is God. Because that's what I understood him to be. Doesn't make sense, does it? But see, I, I took what the enemy had thrown into my process of understanding God, and lo and behold, I'm going to go back here. This was the picture that Becky was trying to help me see as she was sharing with me the scriptures that we studied together, as well as other people. But see, my mind, this is what I had. And I had to pick through them and realize this didn't belong. This piece doesn't belong. It's not a part of God's character or attribute. And I had to throw it away. Man, that's hard. Because if that's wrong, what else is wrong? What else is wrong that my parents told me? What else is wrong that the pastor told me? If my picture is distorted and wrong, it was a struggle. It was a struggle. How you doing, dear? Hey, you didn't use all the pieces. One piece is gone. You did good. Thank you for helping me. Do you understand? And I think that's the kind of concept that I have with people, and maybe you have as well. Maybe it's family members, neighbors, friends, that they come into your conversations and they bring this to the table. See, they have things that they truly believe is an accurate picture of God's character. It's not my place to sit there and point and say that's wrong. It's my point to come and say, let's just sit and, and look at the scriptures and let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit is supposed to do. Because you see, I'm not the one who convicts. I am the one who God asked to sow the seeds. That's all. I'm a seed sower. A Bible seed sower. But the problem is with me, I want to do more. Boy, this was hard with my folks and my sisters. I wanted to do more. In fact, I wanted to be the Holy Spirit and convict them of their wrong. Help me, 
wasn't my place. And it's not your place. There's a text that I came across. Yes, I'll admit it, I'm a fan of Joyce Myers. You cannot know when the devil is lying to you if you don't know the Word. Right? Oh, the Word, the Word. The Word is such value to us. The Word is so important to us. The Word is anything and everything to me. Well, wait a minute. The Pharisees knew the Word. But when the Word walked in front of them, they didn't even recognize Him. I need to know the Word. See, the Pharisees had the head knowledge but they didn't have the heart knowledge. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that, was been, that has been made. In Him was life, and that life for the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Who's the Word? The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and the only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I truly believe that God wants us to be putting ourselves more in the effort of relationship than religion. I can sometimes waste my time on religion when really the heart of the matter is the relationship. I got to remember the core thoughts that were given to me by Russell, by Gary, by even the, the book, Jesus Mingled with the People. Intentionally mingled with the people. He met their needs. How often, how often had I done that with a person that I studied with? If I'm just going through the formality of the religion, I'm missing the relationship that God wants me to experience. So let's recap. The plane's about to land. The essence that we need as far as students of the Bible, students of God to be able to share this gospel message and show this and share the seeds is to connect with people and not fear what you're Anxieties or expectations may be because mostly nine times out of ten, you're wrong. You're wrong. 
Do not lose the thoughts of ministry of healing that picture this in the position of Jesus. He mingled. He met the needs. He won their... Um, thank you. Well, just think about it. Sometimes we ask too quickly about a person and they don't have confidence in us at all. We don't have the relationship. I can't ask questions sometimes of people if I don't have that relationship and for them to feel confident with me. See, that's where I feel privileged. I have expanded my family here in church, really, in a lot of different dynamic ways, in different homes, in different places. The kids I meet at school, they become my kids. They become my family. It's a big God family that he wants us to get involved in. And there is no fear of what we possibly may think will happen, especially when we say, I'll tell you what, it's not me over you or you over me. It's us together. If there's any questions and I don't know the answer, so be it. I'm human. But you know what? Let's journey together and seek and find the answers ourselves. If you journey with someone, it's very non-threatening. If you put yourself above someone, it's very threatening. Utilizing the words that we can say to help break the tension instead of arguing, and please remember this, do not react but to respond, and sometimes that means to shut up. And listen to what God wants you to do and what maybe he wants you to say. Don't light the fuse. I look at the scriptures and I find that most of the time when those would try to entrap Jesus, he answered a question with what? A question. Maybe that might be of value to us. If we are asked questions, respond with a question to get the ball back into their court, to understand where their thoughts are, where they're coming from, to understand them and not be so quick to tell them what we believe, what I believe, to win the battle. He diffused conflict by answering with the question, throwing the ball back into the hands of those who are asking it. Folks, we're all deeply hurt and damaged by sin. Would you agree? But everything that has gone wrong in the world because of sin is addressed by God's reconciliation with humanity through Jesus' personal ministry. That's just not a band-aid. That's a cure. He mingled with them and desired the good of the whole person and the whole human race. Even, catch this, even ministering to those who in that culture were deemed the worst. Do you see the worst today? Do you drive in the area of Tri-Cities and maybe see the worst? Do you work at a job where you see the worst? 
Do you have relationships where you see the worst? I'll let somebody else take care of them. Mm -mm. He chose to work with the worst. Ministry of Healing Gary Park said, if you want to do this, you have to roll up your sleeves and get your hands dirty. You want to be a Christian, a loving, caring Christian, expect to get your hands dirty. Expect to get your clothes dirty. We are lost souls. We are damaged goods. We are seeking direction and purpose in life. But God needs our hands, our feet, our compassion, our empathy, our understanding to come to His children and meet them where they are and to connect with them. That's all. Connect with them. The Holy Spirit will do the rest. Can you do that? Can you do that? You see, it was said there in John 14, Thomas said to them, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Thomas was perplexed. Maybe you feel perplexed today. I'm lost. I don't know the way. Jesus has a way. And he makes it very clear. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. And from now on, you, do not know, you who do not know him have not seen me. The Father and Christ are one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. When I grew up, I memorized that verse. Did you? Probably one of the first verses I memorized. But I stopped at verse 16. I didn't do verse 17. In fact, it wasn't until too long ago that verse 17 really came into my mind of importance. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Those who don't think like-minded to me, I am not to condemn not my place he didn't come to this world to condemn the world but to save the world through him may we leave here today with the desire to share Jesus to others invite them invite them to your home and to your yard in the summertime mingle with them get to know them get to know your neighbors Get to, get to know the people where you shop at the grocery store, the drugstore, the gas station. Connect with them, connect with them, connect with them. 
because you never know the opportunities that God is going to use in those connections. I truly believe that. There's a plaque in my office wall that reads, Enjoy the journey. The praise team can come up at this time. Life isn't about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning to dance in the rain. I love that word journey. And at one point in my life, it became very prevalent. I'm not a teacher. I'm a friend who wants to journey with you. I'm not a pastor. I'm a friend who wants to journey with you. If you see me walking down the hall and I'm dancing, just remember Pastor Fred's on a journey. He may be going through a storm, but he knows what's behind the storm. Because, see, when you journey with Christ, he has your hand. But more than that, he has your back. And like when I told my son when he did door-to-door in Auburn, and when they slammed doors in his face, I said, son, don't take it personal. They're slamming that door in Jesus' face. Because, son, you are never going to fail with what you are doing. Why? Because Jesus has your back. When you leave here today, Jesus has your back. And you will not fail. You will not fail. So embrace the world. Embrace your friends. Embrace your neighbors. Connect with them and share in God's love.